From Cities Church, you're listening to Gospel Stories, conversations about encountering Jesus amidst life's challenges. I'm Nick Offenkamp, your host, and now here's the show. Well, Joab, great to sit down with you. Thank you so much for coming on and being willing to share a story with our church of how God has been at work in your life. But uh, just off the bat, man, I'd love to hear a little bit about you and your family and kind of give me a picture of uh, either what a day or a week in the life of Joab Meyer looks like. Sure. I'm glad to do that. So my wife, Emily, and I have been married for over 20 years and have four kids. Uh, Our joke is that we have a mass of Myers because we have Miriam born in Minnesota, Asa born in Arizona, and Salome and Silas born in Shanghai, China. And we'll get into that part of the story. But we have oldest is 16, youngest is six. And so it's a lot of action in our household we are happy to be uh, here at Cities. I've uh, been here for about the last year as members and are part of the Harmony Community Group. So inevitably, our schedule involves some of those activities. We love the volunteer stuff that we do with the Hospitality Center for Chinese. And of course, with kids, we always have different activities. My wife is a teacher at the Yinghua Chinese Immersion School, where the youngest three kids go. And so there's a lot of stuff at the immersion school that's happening. And then our oldest is at Highland Park High School here in St. Paul. So there's lots of theater activities and different stuff that's happening weekend and week out. And I'm thankful my work uh, is relatively flexible. I'm a consultant on site at Cargill doing system implementation stuff. And so most Fridays like today, I can work from home. And so that's nice to have the flexibility to get work done, but also be able to be home. And yeah, so oh, it's awesome. Man, yeah. So, how did you say it? A uh, mass of Myers, mass of Myers. And I gotta ask, did you plan the naming to? It's one work of those things. Well like, by did. the time we got to Salome, number three, yeah, and we were in Shanghai, it was like, well, the last one has to be ass. Yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome. Kind of plan and kind of not. Yes, the uh, there's just layers of the mass of Myers that's coming together for me as I'm thinking about it now. That's that's awesome, cool, and uh, you know, kind of tell us a bit about where where you're from, where you grew up, sure. and you know, how you landed in Minnesota. Right, you know, there's a ton there, but uh, right, in as broad of a brush as you'd like to paint with. Yeah, so I'm from Nebraska originally. Cornhusker? Go Big Red, of course. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, and came to the University of Minnesota back in 1995 to go to the U. I didn't know much about Minnesota, but I knew, number one, I wanted to get out of Nebraska, and I wanted to be in a big school. I had a chance to be on short-term mission trips in high school, and so God really blew my mind uh, coming from small town white Nebraska, I had a chance to go to Russia and Hong Kong and Mexico. And so by the time I got to college, I really had an inkling of cross-cultural discipleship uh, missions type of activity. Yeah. And so the diversity at the University of Minnesota was super appealing. And it's one of those things where you don't quite know how God's going ahead of you. But when my dad said, 
said, yeah, financially it can work to go to Minnesota. I was thrilled. Mm-hmm. And then I had to make a crazy decision. Like what foreign language do you want to study? And it was like foreign language. Like I detested that in high school. I, I have no idea. And then there was this crazy choice of Chinese. And I thought, well, that's really different. Huh. So I asked a family friend, I said, listen, I feel like I want to do cross-cultural ministry. I want to be a missionary, whatever that means. I have a choice of a language. And I've been overseas enough to know if you don't speak the local language, it's not a lot of fun. So which language should I study if I want to be a missionary? He said, well, probably Spanish or Chinese. Spanish, nothing against people who speak Spanish, but just kind of sounded boring. So I tried to give Chinese a try and unbeknownst to me again the connection between Minnesota and China is really really old like over a hundred years they've been having students from China come to Minnesota and so I had no idea there was this long-standing connection and then through that I got a scholarship my junior year to study in China and so I I'm so thankful. Uh, We've been back and forth over the last 20 plus years of marriage between China and Minnesota. So we are happily calling Minnesota our home in America, though we do feel like we have a home in different parts of China also. Yeah. I I knew that there was a huge, uh, like, international student population largely from China at mm. the U of M. I had no idea that it was that long standing. Yeah, 1914, the first Chinese students came to Minnesota. That's incredible. And then in the 70s, Minnesota had one of the first bilateral exchanges between the university and the school that I went to in China. Um, and so again, you just see common grace of God working and it was like, wow, I had no idea. I just knew I wanted to get out of Nebraska and I wanted to be in a place that was more diverse than where I grew up because of this cross-cultural experience that I had had yeah. in high school. And it was super great that my family was so supportive of that, uh, financially and also encouraging me to do the cross-cultural activities in high school. So that was a huge yeah. help. Wow. Cool. Yeah. And then you mentioned going on mission trips as you were growing up, which presumably means grew up in a Christian home attending church. Yeah. So I'm longstanding Baptist. We grew up in Baptist and E-free churches in Nebraska. And my first real vivid memory is actually about five years old. And I understood some really basic theology. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. If I don't put my faith in Jesus, I'm going to hell. And it was like basic fire insurance. But my aunt, who introduced me through a number of conversations uh, during VBS, was very kind to answer my questions. And but I very vividly remember on our front porch understanding those basic ideas and being very. It was a real thing to me that I wanted to not go to hell. And then we continued to go to church. And one of my more exciting. Memories was VBS in the summer, especially when missionaries would show up. It was kind of like, oh, those are different. Like, I don't know what those people are about. And then at 15, we had moved and I attended a national youth conference and heard Josh McDowell speak on evidence that demands a verdict. Basically, he's given a summary of that book. And I realized through his historical unfolding of that, those key ideas that Jesus is a real person who existed in history and like according to history died and rose again. And so I was just really the, the spirit convicted me like, this is a reality. So are you, it's kind of like Lord liar lunatic. Like, are you going to believe that 
he was who he says he is, or are you going to walk away? And I went forward and rededicated my life. And shortly after that was baptized at our church there in Nebraska. And so that's kind of my story where I understood by the time I came up here to Minnesota, I was actively looking for student ministry groups and found a couple that were super influential in learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus and be in the world, right? Not to run away from the world, but really wanting to be actively engaged in the community that God put me in. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that's, uh, that's awesome. Praise the Lord for, uh, Christian homes and praise the Lord for, uh, yeah, being in the kind of settings where he would would meet you through VBS, an aunt that was teaching VBS. Yeah, my aunt. And then through uh, the youth conferences. And and that's that's awesome. And uh, I know from our conversations that um, even after, you know, really rededicating your life, being Mm -hmm. baptized, which sounds like that was in high school. Right. Right. um, That uh, it's, it's not like you rededicate your life and everything is just right. smooth sailing from there. Right. How nice that would be if that's what the, uh, <laughs> the Christian life looked like. But right. I've talked with a lot of Christians and, uh, none of them have had the smooth sailing experience right. after conversion. Mm. And I know that part of your story is mental health and different right. things that, that you've worked through, um, or working through very early on. It sounds like during even the college years and initial right. transitions into to China, would you be willing to, yeah, to share for sure. how that connects with sure. your Christian experience? Right. So towards the end of high school, my dad moved out and a couple of years later, my parents got divorced mm-hmm. and that's obviously very impactful. Right. Um, and the, what I learned through that process is how you deal with difficulty matters. And so that was one uh, of a number of things that you're dealing with, you know, in that season of college, you're trying to figure out who you are and what you want to do. And what I was finding is like my shock absorbers for dealing with difficulty were kind of weak. Hmm. And so, um, it's actually, been diagnosed as high sensitive. So it, it sounds goofy, but it's a, it's a legit thing, like where things just are harder for you to deal with. And so that's not my identity, but that's the reality. Like yeah. just the way God's wired me, yep. I'm more sensitive, which can sometimes be great, but oftentimes it's just hard because you get a bad grade or whatever adversity your parents get, you know, on any scale from parents getting divorced to like, oh no, am I going to pass this Chinese class? Cause I'm totally thinking that I'm going to fail, uh, or bomb out or whatever. So I noticed it because it was first, you know, just trying to process my parents' divorce and all that you're coming into your own and trying to figure out. And then you've got these sort of problems back at home that are impacting your family. And then there's just the stuff that you're dealing with day to day as a college student. And what am I going to do when I grow up? And do I really want to major in East Asian studies? Like what in the world do you do with that? And could I, mm-hmm. so all the natural questions that you ask, I just didn't quite have the shock absorbers to rebound. And so where I would run into adversity, it would like be a big deal for longer than it maybe needed to be. Sure. And so that was kind of in college. And by God's grace, my uh, wife came into my life early on in college and we were engaged uh, at the end of my sophomore year. Then I went to China. 
uh, very non-traditional engagement where we were engaged and then see you. I'll be back in about 11 months and then we'll get married. So it was quite a dramatic beginning and it was uh, obviously anytime you come back from living overseas, there's some transition that happens because you have a life over here and then you come back and you try to kind of put your life back together in a different way. And then also deal with the normal stuff of like, okay, I'm going to get married. And then I'm a senior in college. I'm going to graduate. And so that was the first time I really struggled with depression and sought to get some help. And it was really because my wife is amazing. And she's like, listen, this isn't working. Like, it's okay for us to have conflict, but you are kind of freezing up here in the conflict and we need to get you unstuck, whatever that is. Yeah. And so... At that time, probably, so we got married in the summer of 98, and then several months later, like early in 99, I said, fine, I'll go see a counselor. And really, it was such like an embarrassment to me that I had a problem, and it was like something you can't see, like when you have depression episodes, it's not like you've sprained an ankle and you're limping along, like you can't quite picture it. And so... I went to the counselor like willingly, but embarrassed. And so I don't think I went more than a couple times, maybe three times. And the counselor talked through some issues and she said, you know, it might help if you took some medication. And I'm like, no, 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 definitely not medication. But okay, I'll take like a supplement, St. John's wort or something like that. Yeah. But I really didn't do much with it. Yeah. And I just kind of said okay, I'm over it. I'm done. Uh, I'm moving on. And we kind of bumped along. And of course, like any young married couple, we had conflicts or things that happened. Um, but it really wasn't, you know, kind of fast forwarding until 2007 when we moved to China, really in a miraculous way that I was really, um, God brought circumstances where I had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. In a, at a deeper level. Yeah. So just before getting to, to there, um, as you've kind of looked back and thought through the, the different stigmas that you had about, mm. uh, whether counseling or getting medication, medical care, mm. uh, what do you think were informing those things? Just as you, you know, look at the whether the culture that you grew up in or where do you think that some of that came from? And I ask because I think that, uh, those stigmas are still common today. A lot of people still carry them. Yeah, I think definitely we do. And I don't, I think in my family, it was generally okay to not be okay. Like, especially with my mom, um, you could talk about stuff, but it was more just my own, embarrassment. Like I can't see that I have a problem. I should just be able to get it together. Like, and then you perceive like, well, everybody else has got a really great job lined up and they've got a major that's going to get them a solid job out of college. And I'm the only idiot that can't figure it out. And so you just start to spiral a little bit. And so uh, more than anything, it was really my pride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good self-assessment. And I'm sure that we'll, we'll touch on that more, but all right. So 2007, right? So fast forward, we were in Minnesota for about six years after graduation and worked in nonprofit and that was great, but didn't earn enough money to really provide for a a growing family. And so got opened up the door to go to graduate school. I got my MBA down in Arizona. That's where our number two child Asa was born in Arizona. 
And again, God miraculously provides an internship in China where we really wanted to go. Um, that internship over six months goes great. Then we come back, last semester of school, graduate, no job. It's like, hmm. okay, that's not in the brochure. Like the, <laughs> I spent all of this money and took out all this debt to like get a better job, not to get no job. Yeah, right. But again, there's so much that I've seen like God is faithful. He won't let you be tested beyond what you can bear. He's going to provide a way out. So just when you think you're going to lose it, he provides. And so long story short, we, as, as God really confirmed through counsel, uh, took a faith step and sold most of our stuff and bought one-way tickets to go to China. Wow. There have been enough kind of conversations going with people that I was connected through my school or through my internship in China that said, hey, there might be something. Again, my wife is like super practical and awesome. She's like, listen, our kids are preschool age. We came to graduate school so that we could go to China. Yeah. If we don't go to China now, we won't go. Hmm. Let's do it. And, and God confirmed it through a, a very clear yep. uh, Exodus word and it's a whole nother story. But um, the whole thing was a huge step, step of faith. And so I bought a ticket that was three weeks before Emily and the two little kids. And I went ahead and interviewed in several different cities and God miraculously opened up multiple doors. And when we prayed about it, the place that seemed to be the best was in Shanghai and was at a major bank in Shanghai. And so it was kind of like, holy cow, God's provided this dream job. I'm yeah. working, you know, I got an MBA in global management to do business between China and the U.S. And now I'm working for a major bank and in the financial district in downtown Shanghai. This is like wow. a dream job yeah. until it wasn't. <laughs> So that's really where the adversity started Yeah, where, and I didn't quite fully realize it at the time, but I wasn't a good fit for the job. Like the, the key stuff that you were supposed to do, I really not skilled at. It's like a big spreadsheet job where you need to love to dive into analyze spreadsheets all day long. And I can do a little bit of that, but not like all day long. Yeah. And then the management culture in China typically is shame based. And so it's not a thing for the manager to yell at his subordinates. Um, and so I had a verbally, a, a, two verbally abusive managers. And as an American, that was like a total shock. Yeah. And then I didn't even know it at the time, but I've got this high sensitive stuff where I'm even especially sensitive to criticism. Yeah. And so it was not going well yeah. to begin with. And then in the winter around February... Emily falls and breaks her ankle and like shatters it. Oh my goodness. And we're in China and we're on local health insurance. And so this, like I have the difficulty of my job. And then on top of it, this happens. And of course, because we're on local health insurance, it's pay out of pocket. And by God's grace, we found a international clinic and by God's grace, there's a window where her swelling went down. And in that window, a Singaporean doctor's in town. So all sorts of provisions, but we have to pay $10,000 cash before they'll even operate. And it's like, we don't have $10,000. <laughs> so again, yeah. like super humbling 
to go to the church, where it actually happened at the church. It was an old church in the French concession district of Shanghai, built like in the early 1900s. And so the church kind of felt bad that my wife had broke her ankle at their building because it was an old building. So that helped. But it was also just their gracious kindness. But I literally got $10,000 cash to then go pay for the surgery. It's unreal. And again, this, the whole thing is so humbling. Yeah. And God is at work in the midst of this, but this is just overwhelming over loading my circuits with stress. And to the point that in May of 2008, I, we had a friend visiting and I was showing them around and we went to a a big, uh, the Nanjing walking street in downtown Shanghai. It's like Times Square and you're going to walk around. And I was not feeling super great, but when I got down there on a side street, I just puked all over. And like, she's like, clearly something's not wrong. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. One thing led to another and I I found out that I had shingles. Okay. Now shingles is like an old people's disease. Right, like people yeah. I think who my are, grandma got shingles right. when she was in her uh, late seventies. Exactly. It's the geriatric thing. Or yeah. it's a stress thing. Okay. And I didn't realize that at all. But again, mm-hmm. Grace and I go to the doctor and it's a Singaporean Chinese gentleman, didn't know him from Adam, and he's listens to my situation. He's like, Well, the stress isn't with your family. The stress is clearly with your job. So when are you going to get a new job? Hmm. And I'm like, a new job? No, no, no. I, hmm. This is my dream job. Like, I have to have this job. Yeah. This this is why I went to graduate school. This is why I'm in China. Like, you know, I'm, I'm super defensive. And he's like, well, when you have a new job or if you to a new job, come back and then we'll talk about whatever's making you stressed out. Wow. And I'm like, okay. So we just told me to go away. But in the midst of that conversation, I don't honestly remember if it was the first one or the follow-up one, he said to me, now you're a Christian, right? Yeah. And you're from America, right? Uh-huh. Well, I've got good news for you. I said, what? Well, you're not Chinese. I said, um, explain. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, traditionally in Chinese culture, it's a huge taboo to have any mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so it's a big shameful thing to the family if a member of the family has this sort of amorphous you know sickness that you can't physically see and so it's very very difficult and again he's singaporean chinese and so he knows from his own cultural experience how difficult it is for somebody to seek mental health even if it's what they actually need yeah and so that was a real wake-up call like wow i have these resources in my network that God's given me that I didn't even know about. I didn't even think about. So that really got me thinking something has to change. And then not too long after that, there was a service at church, the same church in the French concession that we were going to an international church. And as they often do, they had a prayer time at the end. And it was like, if anybody wants to come up for healing and one of the things that happens in the international church is you have just all of God's people together. Yeah. So whereas my Baptist upbringing, Ephraim upbringing in central Nebraska wasn't real big on like healing services or anything like that. It was a very normal part of the more charismatic international church that we were a part of. And I just felt really convicted. Like 
you need to go forward. God wants, if, if, you know, it's kind of silly, but like if the doc, what the doctor says is true, then I need to take some action. And as yeah. I just felt convicted, I need to go forward. And that's kind of funny how simple it was. Like there was a person that really wanted to pray for me and they, I got like a total stranger praying for me. Yeah. So there was no like lightning bolts from heaven or it was just like, okay. So I guess I went forward and like, it, it was like so pedantic and normal, just like it, it, it happened. And I went up and prayed with this kind of stranger person and then was done. But the bigger thing was afterwards, just talking to a few close friends from church to say, you know what, I'm really not doing well and mm. I really need help. And just asking for that help, um, super, super humbling. But that was a big step. Like, okay, I've got a problem. Um, I need to find out what's going on here. And it's just amazing. One of the biggest truths that God's shown me through this whole process was from James 4, where it says, God opposes the proud, yeah. but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Yeah. And again, like we had talked about earlier, a lot of my own struggle with really overcoming the stigma in my own mind, if anywhere else, of dealing with depression was my pride. Like, mm -hmm. I can figure this out. It's okay. It's not really a big deal. But it was clearly a big deal in this circumstance. And so I went back to the doctor and said, okay, I want help. What, what, what do I need to do? And so he's like, have you been on medication before? Well, yeah, like years ago when I was first married and St. John's Ward. And he just basically laughed at me like, so you didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, if you're going to really have resources to deal with whatever is below the surface of your depression, you need real medicine and you need to be on it for at least a year. Yeah. Like, okay. And so we started that process and it's interesting how many different ways, you know, God gives grace to the humble. God's grace came in so many different ways, some of them common and some of them, you know, theological. And so to realize I'm proud, I need to deal with this is one thing, but then to actually take action and do something about it is another faith process. And it's just amazing how God brought resources like that Singaporean doctor, like the medicine, like the church service and the friends. And then the last thing he really used is counseling resources. So one of my network, uh, a guy in my network, uh, was like an occupational counselor. So I took hmm. an assessment test, like what type of work should you be doing and what are your skills and stuff I'd never thought about before. And it was really clear, like I'm in the wrong job. Like hmm. I shouldn't be working hmm. at a bank. I shouldn't be working in a highly financial analytical position. This is not a good fit for me. So like objective reality, like there's a reason this job is stressing you out. You're working yeah. for the wrong company and you're in the wrong position. Yeah. Okay. That's clarifying, but what do I do with that? Right. So, okay, I got to find another job because you can't just stay in China. You have to have a visa to be in China. Mm -hmm. So I had never been to an American chamber of commerce event before. So I, I'm just kind of randomly picked one and then randomly, which we know is not randomly. I sit next to this guy and he's a recruiter and he knows a guy who's at Cisco Systems, a technology company, yep. and they need somebody, like now, in Shanghai. And it was just an amazing provision of God's grace. So basically I got 
fired by the bank at the end of 2009. Okay. Um, so again, this is, if 2008 is when I really started thinking about this, then started down that journey, but was still really trying to make the bank work through early 2009. Um, but it was just going nowhere until I then met this recruiter, find out about other opportunities. Um, and then at the end of 2009, the bank forces me to resign basically, which is another super humbling thing, but mm -hmm. graciously extends a visa to our newborn child, our number three, Salome, okay. which they didn't have to do. Yep. But even though I'm in the process of being forced to resign, they extend a visa to our newborn, but I don't have a job. Yeah. And so graduate school connections, do some research, but I still don't have a job. Yeah. And so this recruiter conversation with Cisco, the technology company, then turns into an amazing job for almost five years wow. um, at Cisco. And it was so much, it was like, oh, this is why the bank wasn't working. Like it's a hierarchical, very conservative culture as compared to like the Silicon Valley innovative, let's, you know, get stuff done, uh, break stuff fast sort of culture. Yep. Um, and then the role was a much better fit. So again, you just see God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And you just don't even know where that grace is going to come from. And so it came from all sorts of crazy places. But then by early 2010, I just really was experiencing freedom I never had before um, because of all these things God was putting together. Um, and so, yeah, this, the, the manifold grace that God used through common things and supernatural things to restore me was... Yeah. Quite amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an amazing run of uh, three years, really. I mean, that's a, that's a significant portion of life as far as from uh, 2007, <clears throat> the uh, massive adjustment of moving, not just yourself, but with your family right. and two young ones right. to China, the adjustment of that alone taking on, it sounds like this is like your first, like, real serious career. Kind so my of. first job, like in my field, my undergraduate yeah. stuff was again, East Asian studies and I'm working in nonprofit and education. I really took an MBA to career switch and move out of education into this. And I had done an internship, but yeah, this was my first like time working for a big company yeah. and I didn't have any idea what I didn't know about a bank culture and yeah. all of this stuff. And even yourself, right? I mean, that, that there's, uh, these both, you know, insecurities and, and weaknesses, the sensitivity, uh, what was the name for High it? sensitive. Yeah. Uh, that, um, you know, like unbeknown to you, uh, those things are there and just crazy how, uh, the, the bank job would be pressing on all of those in the right. midst of all of the other life stress. And I think it, I mean, I, I've found myself in those kind of positions on several mm. occasions where it's just like, this, this should be working. This is my, my dream deal. You know, I, I, <laughs> if I were writing my story, like this is exactly the kind of thing that I would have written in, but unbeknown to me, there's more going on right. beneath the surface. Right. And so that, uh, the pride and humility piece that you're talking about, I right. guess that it's like, all right, Lord, like it feels like. If I'd written the story, this is how I would have done it, but it's not working. And so 
let me come before you and right. lay it all on the the table and which well, it sounds like is in summary like really what what you did with seeking right the kind of medical care that that you needed seeking the kind of counseling mm-hmm. being uh vulnerable and open with Christian community right other brothers and sisters and bringing them in yeah but it's just crazy how God orchestrated those circumstances because you think you're okay until like you're not okay yeah and so you think Philippians talks about has been granted to you to not only believe but also to suffer mm. Granted is like graciously given. Yeah. God graciously gives us suffering. Yeah. And will we ever ask for it? No, I would never ask for shingles. I never asked for a broken ankle. I never asked for an abusive manager. Like those are never things I would ever pray for. Right. But they were exactly what God graciously gave to me. Yeah. Why? To like ground me into the ground? No. But to show me this is serious. Like if you don't deal with these ways of thinking, the ways of dealing with difficulty, the ways of looking at the future, it's not going to go well for you. And so, so humbling to realize that. But it was also amazing, the common grace of books. And so I'm not a huge reader, but there were a couple books that came to me that were uh, recommended and have been just um, incredibly powerful. I'd love to hear about them. So one is from a psychologist, non-Christian author, and it's called Learned Optimism by Martin Seligman. And he looked at how people respond to adversity and he basically broke it down into how your adversity is the, it's the ABCD model. The adversity that you encounter leads to a belief like what you believe about the world. And then there are consequences to the way you respond. Mm. And he says, just psychologically, you have to get to D. You have to dispute. Okay, this happened to me. I have a manager. Because what would happen naturally in my path of my mind is I would say like, well, I did something wrong. So this is personalizing the adversity. Mm -hmm. But it might not have been something I did at all. Or to make it pervasive, like, okay, I have a bad job, I have a bad life. Mm-hmm. Or then permanent, like, I've got a bad job and I'm always going to have a bad job. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, no, you have to dispute those things to say, okay, yes, this happened to me. I got a dream job that turned into a nightmare job. Well, let's figure this out. This isn't pervasive. I've got a wife that loves me. I've got a family that loves me. Like, there's other parts of my life that aren't this way. Yeah. And it's not permanent. Like I can find another job, even if it really stinks to have to go and try to go through that whole process. And so that was a first, just like common grace tool, like a psychologist that breaks down the mind. Like I'd never thought about the way that I deal with adversity yep. and then I like had a choice and then, and rather than just like my natural, freak out just kind of sort of surrendered to the circumstances right like whatever i feel or whatever yeah. just goes on in my head i just I gotta go there um but it's like muscle memory like you have to like change it and that's what he said like he that all sorts of crazy research to show that people actually learn how to be helpless like oh, i can't do anything about it it's like no actually you can mm. and it's called disputation and this is how you dispute and so then he goes and breaks it down like Again, just like common practical tools. Yeah. But then I needed more than that as a follower of Jesus. It wasn't just about like, okay, these are the mechanics and I'm turn the lever and make it yeah. change. Um, and that's where the other book 
Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones came in and was just super insightful because he says basically, like we talked at the beginning of our conversation, just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean that it's happily ever after. Yeah. And you have to recognize that fact that you're still going to have stuff happen in your life. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says something very powerful like, the problem isn't that you talk to yourself. The problem is that you listen to yourself too much. So then comes in this like gospel story that says, listen, this really is how you dispute. You can dispute without following Jesus, totally possible. But what we have when we follow Jesus is the ability to dispute against those beliefs and consequences of those beliefs with the good news that says, you know, this is who you are. Yes. Right. It's been appointed to you to not only believe, but suffer. Like it's been appointed to you. You know, so we have these truths that we can go back to. Yeah. And rather than listening to ourselves, which in my case was pretty much whining, like, why is it this way? And it's always going to be this way. And like, just like stuck. Like, no, I'm not going to listen to myself. I'm going to talk to myself. And I'm going to say, listen, self, this is not permanent, right? Just because your boss said you were an idiot, which he repeatedly did. It doesn't mean that you're actually an idiot. And there was a moment with my boss, literally it was like that as I was learning these skills, I had a kind of knockdown drag out with my boss. And he's like, listen, here's the deal. You're not very smart. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so you have two options. You can either work harder or find another job. And I'm like, I think I'll take option B. Yeah. So they w- that was a very um, clarifying conversation because it's like, okay, you're clearly abusive because the previous comment to that was because, you know, when you sign the contract with a company that the company owns you, which is very much a Chinese way of thinking, mm-hmm. like that's your highest and deepest loyalty. And that was, it was like, wait a second. No. I, I, I am disputing that. That is not true. Yep. And then I'm disputing the fact that I am stupid. And so that was like a very, like it was so dramatic. It's kind of like God's got to give me a stupid, simple conversation. Like, hello, case in point, this is not you. Yeah. This is not the place you should be in for work. This is not the type of manager you should be under. But it had to be that dramatic and I had to wrestle enough with it where I tried to make it work. And then there was just like this obvious red flag. But the mental stuff was going on at the same time where the medicine was giving me the ability to actually learn those new skills because I was so pressed down by the mental stuff before that I didn't even have the capacity to try to think differently. But the medicine like, OK, I literally can remember feeling like, oh, I feel a little happier. Like it, it gives you a little boost. But the question is, what do you do with that? Yep. It's not just enough. Okay. I'm taking my happy pills now and go on and just think, keep thinking in the wrong way. No, it, it, it was to boost me up so that I had the wherewithal to start thinking in a new way, yeah. which takes common tools like learned optimism, but also takes God's specific grace that's only in Jesus to say, okay, this is who I am. I'm not going to listen to myself. I'm going to talk to myself about who I am and believe that Jesus is a real person. And and that's where really I saw the gospel come alive because it was like, if I don't have Jesus to empower me to do this, I cannot do this. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to be stuck here and not able to think in a new way. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that super helpful. And I love how those, uh, those two books, uh, really play off of one another, how God brought those together for you. Cause that, uh, that D, um, was the disputation, exact, the disputation. I mean, apart from Jesus, you're right. Like anybody can do disputation, but really you're just kind of moving from one unsatisfying, unfulfilling, you know, position to, to another, right. um, that there's a, a unique freedom that comes in, in the gospel in being able to embrace either God's design and purpose mm. in affliction and the, mm. the work that he's doing in that, or to have a, a true genuine lasting hopefulness in the midst of that as well, yeah. which is, uh, I mean, something that you started to, to get at, um, with, uh, you know, moving into 2010 is all of these new truths and realities and as the gospel's touching down in fresh ways in your own heart, like you expressed, you felt a freedom unlike you'd ever known before. Yeah. I vividly remember going to church and seeing my chains are the Chris Tomlin song. Yeah. My chains uh, are gone. Yeah. And so, yeah. Where it's this re vamping of amazing grace. Mm-hmm. And there's a line that says, my chains are gone. I've been set free. And where before, like, okay, I get that. Like I'm no longer condemned, condemned, whatever, whatever. Like I met just like mental ascent. Like it's really hard to properly describe it, Nick, but I just felt freedom that this way of thinking that was just like holding me down was gone. Mm-hmm. And not to say that it's 100% gone, that I don't ever have down days. I don't ever struggle with, you know, hard things that happen. There's plenty, plenty of hard things that have happened since then, but the freedom was there. And even today, there's a clarity in my mind that I cannot explain apart from Jesus. I was on medicine for a year. It was very helpful to have the wherewithal to really see my problem for what it was, get some of these tools that would show me how to think in a new way. And then after a year, I went off medicine. And again, God has people in different situations. You might need to be on medicine longer than that or, or, or always be on medicine. The, the, the point isn't about medication or not, but yeah. what are you depending on? Yeah. Am I depending on the medication to make me feel better? Well, then the medication is your God, ultimately. Yeah. Am I depending on my new way of thinking and the fact that I can rewire my brain myself? Well, then you're your own God. And so that was the biggest thing to realize. Like when I say Jesus is the Lord, the boss, like that means he's the source of all of my ability to think in a new way. And so that was just amazing. Again, God gives grace to the humble, but the grace doesn't come in a microwave shot, right? It comes one conversation at a time and they can be very confusing conversations like, okay, I can't work at the bank anymore. Where in the world am I supposed to work? Mm -hmm. So you got to try to apply at other banks. No, no, no. And then again, like this seemingly random person I met at one American Chamber event. Oh yeah, my friend over here, he has a position at Cisco. Well, what's Cisco do? Like all of these things. So 
now later telling it, it kind of see how it fits together. But at the time you don't know. And it's super scary to like take that next step of like, okay, I have to leave the bank. Like the dream job isn't a dream job. So like there was that counseling or, uh, seminar that the church had a while back that talked about trauma and it was a very helpful definition where they said something like trauma is when the story you've been telling yourself turns out not to be true. And that's so hard because we have trauma like that all the time. Hey, everybody, I landed the dream job in Shanghai. I'm working for one of the world's biggest banks. I've arrived. Oh, or not. Right. And even Cisco is great, but then it ended eventually. And there's a whole nother story. But the point is, what are we dependent on? Yeah. Because if I'm dependent on my status as somebody who works for this company, or I'm dependent on myself in terms of how I can rewire my brain, well, that's eventually always going to end. Yeah. And so that's where it's so powerful to remember that God opposes the creator of the universe stands in opposition to us mm-hmm. if we're proud. Mm-hmm. That's a horrible place to be. But gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. What, what do you do? Like, okay, here's the reality. You can either be in opposition to God, and it's not going to go well with you, or you can have God graciously give it you because you're humble. What do you do? Well, then you submit yourself to God, right? But that is an everyday, moment by moment process. Yes. Especially when life just keeps changing and just keep having challenges. So that's been the most amazing thing, kind of to bring it forward to today. Like we have plenty of challenges that we face now, and I still have times where I'm having to dispute, but like there is muscle memory there, but most importantly, there's God's grace. They're working moment by moment. And I'm far from perfect. And I have so much still to learn about how to properly dispute and properly remind myself of what we have in Christ. But it's just, again, night and day different from where I was. And so if I can really encourage anybody with anything, it's like, it's okay if you have this little or big mental stuff going on. It it doesn't look like it. Like you could be walking around and look like you're fine and whatever, but right. if you've got that nagging thing, it's okay. And it took me over 10 years to admit that I had a problem. It took dramatic ankle breaking, $10,000 surgery, <laughs> puking on the street mm-hmm. experience, which I wouldn't choose, but I would never ask to be taken away because in that process I really was forced to deal with my depression yeah. and it, I'm such a proud person that it took like dramatic circumstances but it doesn't have to be that dramatic right the right. the bigger point is that each one of us has the opportunity to respond to difficulties in a way that either draws us closer to dependence on Jesus or depends on something else. Yeah. And I just see that depend on anything else will only give you temporary stay and yeah. it won't go well for you in the long term. Yeah. That's so, so well put and so clear. I, I love it. And it's, uh, it's funny. It just like this psychologist, uh, 
you know, he's, he's not saying anything new. He's actually picking up on what the psalmists were doing, you know, thousands of years ago, even a thousand years before Jesus. Right. And, uh, you know, so Psalm 42, uh, is, is that very like self-talk of the, why are you downcast right. oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then it's that next verse though. That's, that's so key hope in riches, you know, hope in, this is David, my, my kingdom, my armies, you know, hope in my, my power, my friends, hope in my position. No hope in God. Right. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And, uh, and it, I think that there's, we can be quickly reductionistic in that, of that, you know, well, my hope is in God, you know, I, I don't need anything else. Right. Then. And miss the fact that like, well, the, so often the way that God brings about his salvation is, is that as we're depending upon him, he brings in good friends and he brings in right. counselors. He brings in new jobs. He brings in medication, but it's all about the the priority uh, of, of putting the hope in him. Right. And then, you know, trusting in him and that he's going to use these different means as opposed to putting our trust in the means themselves. Right. It's the whole thing. We put our trust and hope in the one who created us, right. not the, the created things. Although our creator will use the created things. Yeah. That's the amazing thing, goodness. right? Because it's not either or. Okay. So I'm going to trust in God and yeah. not take any medicine. Like, well, maybe, maybe God would have you not take medicine, Yeah, but there's a common grace in medicine. Yeah. There's a common grace in doctors. Yeah. And that was just the craziest thing for me. All these different things that God was bringing, but, what had to happen first was I had to face my pride. And unfortunately or fortunately, it took me puking in the streets of Shanghai because I was, my body was so stressed that I had developed shingles mm -hmm. for me to be like, this pride thing is like really detrimental. This isn't helping me deal with my stress. But it was only as then I humbled myself Okay, I'm going to go see the doctor again. Okay, I maybe I could work somewhere besides the bank. Okay, I'll talk to my friends about this. I'll go forward at the church service. And it wasn't right. like one thing, but it was many right. things happening over time right? that you start to see how to get better. But yeah. it just is a process. And again, one of the greatest things we love about our community group is that we're in each other's lives and we want to be able to help each other yeah. um, even when the whole story isn't written yet. And yep. so that's where we really see an opportunity. And in that community, there should be a testimony, a story, right? That we, like that Singaporean doctor said, like you're a Christian, right? Well, that means that these problems aren't permanent. Yeah. It means that you think that there's change that can happen. And so we really want to continue to be a part of that type of a community where it's like, listen, it's okay if you're not okay. Right. But we're not going to stay there. Right. I, let me serve you brother by helping you get past this. And you know, what can I do to get you help for resources or, you know, and the other thing too, just like recognize when you're out of your league. Like I think you need to see a counselor. I think you need to see a psychiatrist. Like, we don't have to try to figure it out on our yeah. own. God's given us institutions and professions that are here to help us. And it's okay not to be okay. 
but it's so hard to admit that, especially when it's not like I'm limping around with a bum ankle or something that I can physically see is not right. Mm-hmm. You can look okay and you can kind of keep it together, except when you're alone or when you run into a difficulty and that internal dialogue in your head is something that really only you and the Lord can see. Right. And so, yeah, if I would admonish people anything, it's number one, mental health is a serious thing. And if you're not well in your mental health, that's okay. Yeah. You know, talk to somebody from your community group, talk to one of the pastors. Yeah. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there yeah. because there is this good news that we have about how God's rescued us, not just in this like spiritual sense, which is true, but like we're not meant to live in a way that is just down in the dumps and beat down by everything. We have hope. And so we should live that way. And God's given us a lot of common things, doctors and medicine and whatever to help us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Amen, brother. I think that's a, that's such helpful counsel because uh, probably more of us than we even think um, have, uh, have have mental weaknesses or mental illnesses or are are battling depression and whether it's uh, because of our pride or whether it's because of the the cultural air that we breathe, which kind of just says like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, figure it out. You know, life life isn't really that bad. You're just overly sensitive or. Right. And that might be the case, right? Like in my case, the high sensitive is a thing. Sure. But it's not my identity. I think the challenge is that it's so easy to be like, well, I'm just high sensitive. Like, well, yes, you might be high sensitive, but that doesn't define you. So how do you say, okay, this is how God's wired me. Maybe I'm pessimistic just by nature. Maybe I'm skeptical. Like, okay, that's fine. But then you have to ask the bigger question. Like, is it okay for you to stay there? Is that how God wants you to live as somebody who's following Jesus. Like, so I think you have to have that balance between like, okay, this is who I, this is how God's made me, but it's not who I am. It doesn't define me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's where community comes in because community comes along and says, okay, I know you're this way. I know what you're thinking, but listen, this is an honor God or, you know, let's try to get help with this practically or whatever. We really need each other to be able to help have those hard conversations and get resources, which we maybe wouldn't do on our own. And that's again, huge part of my story. God used so many different people, obviously starting with my wife and our friends, but then just this circle of unlikely cast of characters to help at the moment when I needed help that I didn't even know I needed. Um, so that's the other thing, just to believe that God's going ahead of you, even if like the next step to call that counselor or start taking the medicine or whatever it is, is super scary. Like God's going ahead of you and he uh, will give you people to walk with you through that journey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for anyone who's, uh, who's listening and if there's just anything inside that's like, you know, maybe I should get some, some help. Like maybe the, this 
lowness, this depression that I'm feeling, maybe it is more serious than I've treated it. I mean, it sounds like the the best first step is to just to start to talk to someone that you trust about it, whether a, a pastor or a Christian friend, family member, and uh, and then to start to evaluate, like, all right, um, you know what. Where do I go right. for for the help that I need? But the first thing is to bring it out into the light, and to to bring others in, and to not just keep it buried inside. Yeah, I mean, having it buried is the exact way to just get worse, right? Um, if we confess our sins to one another, we'll be healed. Like healing comes through confession. Yeah, and so. You have to, even though it's hard. Um, but then also I think you want to look for patterns. Like what are the things that really stress me out? For me, it was my work. And again, a lot of that goes back to, well, work can really be a big idol for me. Like I want work to work so badly <laughs> that I'm going to like sacrifice everything. And I still struggle with that to this day, right? Yeah. It's not a panacea that it's fixed. Yeah. But really thinking about, okay, what is this mental pattern showing me about where my hope is showing me about where I have this proclivity or propensity to put all of my eggs in this basket. Mm-hmm. And again, that's like almost harder because mm-hmm. again, Cisco is great, but eventually there was a layoff and I didn't want to move to California. And so I got let go. Right. Mm-hmm. My hope couldn't be in Cisco, yeah. even though functionally lots of times it still was. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other really almost harder work that you have to do. Like, okay, where, even if I've got my mental faculties now for the most part, how do you recognize like, oh, that's, that's not okay. Right. And again, that's where I feel like our community comes in yep. to ask the hard questions like, okay, you're struggling with this. I understand, but let's understand kind of what's behind the struggle. Yeah. What do you believe? Again, back to this common grace thing, like, okay, you have this adversity. What are you believing in that? Yeah. You're believing this dream job is going to satisfy you believing this dream relationship is going to satisfy you. Well, right. what are the consequences of believing that? Well, that's not okay. A person can't play that role in your life. A job can't be that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's the dispute? What do you do with that? Where do you go? Do you go to yourself? You go to another job? You go to another relationship? Well, that's going to be false hope, right? So that's where, again, the right. Martin Lloyd-Jones stuff comes along and says, is Jesus. Yeah. And he is not just like theoretically up in the rafter somewhere, but he's here with you. Yeah. And he has a design even for your weakness yes. that God will show how great and powerful he is even through your weakness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the second Corinthians 12, right? The, uh, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for Christ's sake. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamity. And then Paul just says this, this crazy thing for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I think so often we spend so much of our life trying to fight our weaknesses, trying to press them down, trying to keep it so that nobody can can see them, so that everybody perceives us as being strong, as being capable and competent. And yet uh, what Paul is saying here is, is that like, I'm going to let my weaknesses come to the surface that Jesus might be glorified in them, that he might prove the sufficiency of his grace, that his power might be manifested in them, that all around me might see 
that it's it's actually him who right. satisfies it's it's him who uh makes life good and worth living and that uh, everything else may fail and yet he's keeping me he's holding me he's sustaining me and i love the um the language you use several times of just muscle memory and uh um that over time uh you've you've cultivated greater and greater muscle memory and um and that that's more than just an individualistic thing too i think that that happens in community that as a community like we cultivate a muscle memory right for one another and uh that as we see uh brothers sisters going back down similar patterns that right. all of a sudden it's like oh we've we've walked this road with you before you've walked this road before right. and just becomes um if not easier we're just quicker to to recall yeah, but you've got to keep using that muscle memory, right? Because yeah, I still right. have adversity right. that happens today. And But I remember the first time I picked up the book and read it, I uh, emailed a friend back in Minnesota and I said, please get this book. Let's mm -hmm. go through this together. And then yeah. we started to com literally compare notes. Like, okay, we're going we're gonna to write down this week, we're going to write down one scenario of what happened. So it's like forcing yourself to put on paper, this is what's going through my head. So I don't remember even what the circumstances were. I probably could go back and dig up the notes, but like I would write down all the stupid little things like a fight with my wife or a bad, hard conversation at work or whatever it was. And I would go through like, okay, this is the adversity that happened. This is what I was believing that came to the surface through that adversity. Yeah. This was the consequences of that belief. And this is what I'm disputing to say, this isn't permanent. Yeah. This isn't personal. This isn't pervasive. And it's all in that Common Grace Martin Seligman Learned Optimism book. And then I would compare notes with my friend. I would say, okay, what happened in your life, right? And so that was critical to build that muscle memory. Yeah. But it, I really needed my friend. Yeah. She's like, would you please buy this book? Would you please go through this with me? And then after a while, we didn't have to compare notes, but it was something that we were doing more regularly. But at the beginning, it's like learning how to walk again. Yeah. You have to have crutches, right? And you need to do physical therapy. And you have to really build that muscle mass and muscle memory back. Yeah. Um, so that was a key part of the process was reaching out to a friend, asking for specific help. Yeah. Not just, hey, would you pray for me? I'm struggling. Like, no, okay, here's the deal. I'm specifically struggling in this area and here's a tool that can help me. Yeah. And would you please buy this book and will you compare notes with me? And like, uh, awesome friend to right. uh, over across the miles. He was back here in Minnesota and I was in China and we were comparing notes on this sort of thing. Um, but that was so important because it was just starting to build that muscle memory back up. Yep. And so it's one little step at a time believing that God gives grace to the humble and grace happens through all sorts of common little things like a friend saying, sure, I'll buy the book. You're not weird. I'm thinking the same way too, you know, and okay, yeah, I'm willing to be vulnerable with you and share these notes. And so I'm just so thankful for friends like that because it's just very humbling to have to start thinking differently, but again, where we see the many different ways that God graciously gives us good gifts. Not that we would point 
and put our hope in the gifts, but that we would really see, hey, he's our actual, this Jesus guy is, like I realized at 15, he's a real person, and he really wants to meet me in my real weakness. And if I don't have him, I'm sunk, right? That, that's the, the core of my hope for anything, any difficulty that I would encounter or will encounter in the future. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, thank you so much. Pleasure. For taking the time to, to share. And I'd love to have you and your wife back on at some point in the future because uh, I know even the circumstances that brought you back to Minnesota most recently, uh, that's a, a gospel story in and of itself and one that in many ways I think you're you're still kind of in the the midst of. So uh, I know that everything that you've shared here is not something that just happened in a vacuum. It's not right. something, you know, that just happened 10, 10 years or so ago. It's right. uh, that these truths, uh, they, they still touch down every day. Yeah. And 2018 was a very dramatic, traumatic year for us. But one thing I will say is God doesn't waste anything. And so that muscle memory that I needed to build up to figure out how to work a regular job and do all sorts of basic stuff, like I didn't know it, but a decade later I would need that to go through what up to now has been the most traumatic stuff we've had to go through and having to leave China urgently, unexpectedly is kind of the basic story there. But God doesn't waste anything. So where it just feels like, what the heck? Why do I have to deal with this now? Well, you don't know what's going to happen in 10 years yeah. or another 10 years or with your kids or with a friend or whatever. Yeah. And so what seems like senseless difficulty is never senseless when you're really desiring to follow God and desiring to walk in obedience to him. We needed that muscle memory in such a very palatable way when we had to flee China in 2018. And so God doesn't waste a drop of your difficulties. He knows exactly, again, like Philippians says, it's been appointed you to not only believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Right. So he knows exactly what he needs to graciously give you to believe in Jesus and to suffer for the sake of Jesus. And so... It's a whole nother story, but it's really amazing that God truly doesn't waste anything over decades and lifetimes. Yeah. And so what we might struggle with as a teenager or a college student or whatever, it's not wasted. It's yeah. never wasted when you're really desiring to walk in obedience to Jesus. And really, ultimately, your desire is to honor him and to point others to him. It might seem senseless now, but it is never senseless because you just don't know how God's going to use it years down the road. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, take heart brothers and sisters, knowing that, that Jesus is alive, that he is a, the author of salvation mm -hmm. and that of all of the different plots that go on in your life, uh, that not a single one of them will be in vain. Not a single one of them will be forgotten, but he's writing the story of of our lives uh he's he's showing off his strength he's showing off his salvation he's showing his wisdom and how one thing prepares us for the next and how ultimately all of it is bringing us closer to him and making us more like him and 
preparing us for that glorious day when we're brought home and these earthly sorrows are are no more. And, and what are we going to rejoice in? Like his mercies, right? Yes. That he might show the, the manifold nature of his mercies. Like, well, how are you going to do that? Are you going to do that if you've had a life of ease and everything was fine and you got exactly what you wanted? No, <laughs> right? You're going to do that when it was like when I was a total idiot and puking on the streets in Shanghai, when we had to flee China, when I encountered this difficulty, whatever. That's when you're going to talk about his manifold grace. That's right. Because it was in that moment you realized what Paul was saying. That I can rejoice in my weakness because it's like this big picture window of how great God is yeah. and how much you need him, how much you're designed to be desperately dependent on him. Yes. Yes. Amen. Bro, this is so rich. I, uh, I feel like we could keep keep going. So we'll, we will have to do uh, another one of these and, and continue to, to talk um, about how uh, how God has continued to, to work these truths. But again, mm. I just can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to yeah, of course. record this with me. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gospel Stories. This podcast is a production of Cities Church. You can learn more about Cities Church and find several other resources by visiting citieschurch.com. We'll be back soon with another conversation, so be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you were encouraged by what you've heard here, please leave us a review, or better yet, give it a share so that more folks can hear about the work of Jesus in the lives of his people. And finally, a special thank you to Sarah Groves for our theme music. All right, well, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back soon. To trust in-